Well, if you have a Bible tonight, let's open up to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And this evening we continue our journey through Deuteronomy in which Moses is giving to the people the instructions that they would be necessary for the nation to not only possess the land, but to enjoy the land. Now, as I've mentioned before, remember, we're no longer in the Old Covenant. We're no longer in the Old Testament. We're now in the New Covenant and the New Testament, so to speak. And so maybe not the principles would be for our practical application. I mean, the precepts, but the principles will be. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see God sharing with us a few things. In verse 1, we're going to see the spotless sacrifice In verses 2 through 13, we'll see the eradication of evil. And then in verses 14 through 20, we'll see the conduct for kings or leaders. And these are all things that are applicable to us, uh, how we need to offer to God the best. Not blemish sacrifices, but our God is worthy of the best, Um, the spotless sacrifice. And then secondly how we need to eradicate evil we're going to see the way that god deals with it in the nation how you have to purge out the impurities we need that in our country we need that in our life and then in closing today we're going to look at god's word to kings and and we can take it and you can give it to our president you can give it to anyone in position of authority anyone who aspires to be a leader And, you know, when it comes to the family or when it comes to the ministry, when it comes to the country, the key is good leadership. And when it comes to good leadership, it just means an awesome relationship with God in which the word of God guides our life. And we'll see that today as we go through our study. We'll have lessons in excellence and justice and purity And as I mentioned, in leadership. But we read here in verse 1, he says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. See, first of all, the spotless sacrifice, in which God says you're not to, you know, offer these blemish or defective sheeps or bulls to the Lord. And this is a command we find frequently in the Bible. In Leviticus 22, 22, it says those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, I mean nothing. It says you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. We see it back. We covered it a couple of weeks ago in Deuteronomy 15, 21, where it says, but if there is a defect in it, if it's lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Over and over again, we see that in the scriptures. It's found frequently. The command was clear from our commander. And so you would figure it would have been done, right? That no one would dare offer up a second-hand sacrifice to God, right? But we know that's wrong. That unfortunately, even though it's so crystal clear, the congregation often violated this command from the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you read Malachi 1, and we looked at this last week, but you know, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Malachi 1, 6 through 14, you find that the leaders, the Levites, the priests even, not just the people, but even the leaders had no problem with violating this command and doing it right in the face of God. They offered up the blind, the lame, 
the sick. They even offered up stolen sacrifices. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you go over to your neighbor's house, you say, I got to give a sacrifice to God, and you rip them off, and you take it down to the temple. I mean, it's just crazy where their heart's at. But if you think about it, it reveals that such people themselves were blind and lame and sick, huh? That even though they were doing the religious stuff, that their hearts were not right. You know, and we got to be so careful, you guys, that we don't become blind to the glory of God. You know, that we would never forget that not for a day, not for a moment, that God deserves 110% of who we are. That we would never offer to God the leftovers, man, in any way, shape, or form as a husband, as a as a wife, as a father, as a minister, whatever you do unto the Lord, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. And, and in one sense, you know, even though we know we're not saved by works, our body is a sacrifice. And we don't want to offer up a, a defective, spotted, you know, sacrifice to God. I encourage you to give God the best. I mean, Kobe gives the Lakers the best, right? I mean, think about it. He wakes up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And why? He's already got so many rings. Why is it that he wants it so bad? It's just in him. It drives him. But it's his own glory. He wants to be known as the greatest of all time. And it's really a trip when you think about it. You know, we would never have that as a motive. But we want the Lord to be glorified. And if you would surrender your life to the Lord, if you would totally, wholeheartedly turn away from this world and turn to God, then God will use your life to bring him great glory and honor. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times what happens is we put it in cruise control and we get casual. We can't pray all night. We can't wake up and pray. We can't stay up and pray. And and the Lord says, man, that's not the type of, of sacrifice I want. Man, I, I encourage you. Um, to offer to God the best of the best. Don't be blind to the glory of God. Don't be sick and unhealthy as a Christian. Walk with God. I encourage you to give God the best. He deserves it. It's wrong in practice, and not only that, it's wrong as a picture. Because if you think about it, who did all the sacrifices ultimately point to? You guys know. They all pointed to Jesus, right? They all did. The sacrifices were to be representative of the perfect Lamb of God who would one day be the perfect, flawless, sinless sacrifice for our sins. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so the first thing we see tonight is the spotless sacrifice. But then the second thing we see is the eradication of evil. Because look what we read in verse 2. It says, If there is found among you within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God and transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded and is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing 
and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. The spotless sacrifice would bless them as a nation and the eradication of evil would do the same. If idolatry was found, that's what we see right here, something corely, clearly forbidden by God. I mean, it was the equivalent of spiritual adultery, sadly practiced commonly among the people of the day. They worshiped the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky. Here we see that if it was found among the people, and then they would do that investigation, diligent investigation, they were to inquire and search and ask and we see here, if they were convicted, we're going to see later on the testimony of at least two or three witnesses. But if idolatry had indeed taken place, then we read right here in verse 5 that the convicted was to be stoned to death. Now remember, they were theocracy. Remember, God has supernaturally taken them out of Egypt. He has sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years, you know. Um, truly, they were accountable you know, and we don't have stone people to death now. We don't, you know, you know, you're not a Christian and we kill people. We don't do that, okay? Uh, I show, share that with you before. This is a theocracy. But one thing I do want to share with you guys is that idolatry is worthy of death. That They all should die. Probably a lot of us should die. Because how many times have we put something before God? How many times when the bottom line is, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, you are your own God? And we all deserve that. That's what God says in the Old Testament. And, you know, when that would take place, if, if idolatry, you know, took place, and let's just say, you know, we'll kind of go down that, 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 that lane, that people, you know, were stoned to death, there'd probably be less idolatry, huh? I mean, seriously, man. <laughs> There probably would be. And there'd be not only the punitive, but the preventative element of it. See, that's the way you eradicate evil. You know, and I know for us here, we're glad this doesn't happen. We're kind of glad. But, you know, at the same time, man, um, I don't know. You know, I, I kind of wish that, that God would, you know, get, get us a little more often. Although I'd probably be dead. Um, a lot of you would be too. But the bottom line is to, to enter into the nation and to enjoy the nation and to enter into your life and to enjoy your life. You can't, you, you can't give God the leftovers. And you've got to make him the God of gods and king of kings. And nothing must come before him. Nothing. Not a husband, not a wife, not a child. No one should come before God. Definitely not the sun and the moon and the stars. And that's what he mentions right here. And it's a heavy warning. We see the same thing earlier, Deuteronomy 4, 19. He says, take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. You know, when I look up at the sun and a beautiful day or the sunset or, you know, you look up at the moon and the stars and stuff, I'll be honest with you, man. I look at it and I'm like, wow, God, you're awesome. But unfortunately, there are many people who worship those things. And God says, take heed, don't do it. Don't put anything before the Lord. Don't put anything in place of the Lord. And, you know, thank God we don't do this today, huh? 
do we? I think we do, though. According to one source, I read that in America today, 25% of all people practice astrology. Did you guys know that? You're like, yeah, I'm a Gemini. You know what? That's not a Christian. <laughs> you know, I grew up, but I don't know if th- times have changed. Remember, my parents, they were all into that. And they say, Manny, you're stuck. You're a Sagittarius or whatever the case may be. And a lot of you are thinking, yeah, he is a Sagittarius. <laughs> you guys need to repent. You know, people believe nowadays, it's crazy, that their lives are written in the stars. They believe their character is determined by their zodiac sign. And they literally look to the stars for guidance. If you're here today and you check out the astrology stuff, you're dabbling with demons. And you can't do that. All that stuff, it's not true. And here we see that the the Lord is giving the warning to the people of Israel and, you know, for us, I think, as well. That's crazy, huh? One-fourth of all people. Verse 3 right here, it says that they worship them. And verse 5 calls it wickedness. It's wicked. Verse 6 says that such conduct deserves death. As a matter of fact, we read right there again in verse 5, Then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of all the people. And here it is again. So you shall put away the evil from among you. Here we see, you know, you see justice, you see purity. Um, They were to make sure it was true. Again, we read about them inquiring diligently, two or three witnesses. It couldn't be just your word against mine. There was definitely justice involved. We read that in Numbers 3530. There had to be the right amount of witnesses. But if the person was convicted, one of the things you'll see that worked well, because God knows how to run a nation, is a sentence was swift. You know, nowadays, if you were convicted of the uh, of murder or you're on you know death row, the average length on death row is over 10 years, 10.25 years. I read one guy that was on, on on death row for 20 years. Now I know this is a tough subject. You know, some of you here may be against the death penalty, but God's not. Romans chapter 13 it says the government bears the sword, and they don't bear it in vain. You know, it's a tough thing. And, of course, if you're there, and let's just say your, your kid's there, you know it's a tough place to be. But um, what ends up happening is when you don't do things God's way, then we have what we have today. And if you look around America, and if you think America's doing good, you know, I, I think that you're not seeing clearly. When they were, you know, convicted, they took them outside the city gates right there and then. They didn't mess around. There was no more like, hey, what do you want for a last meal, Taco Bell or something. It wasn't like that. It was like, okay, you know. And I know, and I'll bet you nowadays that, that there are, are some that are wrongly convicted. But even in those times, you know, you have to just know that God is on the throne. We have to do our best to follow God's, God's law. But... 
you know, God is sovereign in all these things. You know, today we live in a society that they just see it totally different. You know, today people don't see idolatry as bad. Huh, not for a split second. Oh, you're a Muslim. Oh, you're a Buddhist. Oh, you're an atheist. Oh, you know, you, you know, whatever it is. They don't see, like, you know, when people are putting things before God, that that's that bad. Oh, I've never murdered anybody. No, idolatry is bad. You know, God has to be our passion. God has to be number one. Today, most people don't see idolatry as bad at all. Most people today, many today, oppose capital punishment. And, you know, I I know we can't do this flippantly or lightly, but if we want to put away the evil from among us, it says there in verse 7, then, you know, the time got to fit the crime and the sentence should be swift. Here we see in doing that that the sentence was punitive and preventative. The New English translation, it says, in this way you will purge evil from among you. Now we read this evening about the spotless sacrifice. We read about the eradication of evil. The first word is idolatry. The second word is controversy because there in verse 8 it says, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them, and they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. And so you're trying to eradicate the evil. And he deals with idolatry. Now he deals with controversy. What if you have a a really tough case? You know, if you were there and we had our, let's just say in Almani, we've got our city gates and some of you guys are there. You know, you're sitting at the city gates, some of you older guys, and you're the judges. But then there was one that, you know, you weren't really clear on. You're like, you know what, I'm not sure what the Bible says about this. Let's go up to the experts in the law. Let's go up to Galatians chapter 6 calls them those who are spiritual. And and that's the principle we see in the Bible. If you don't have the answer, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just kind of like guess. Well, Maybe you should do this. Maybe. (laughs) Tell me what the Bible says. That's what I want to know. I don't want to know your psychology. I don't want to know your theory. I want to know what the Bible says. And so when they had a hard case, they said, okay, let's take it to the Levites, the priests, those there, the tabernacle and the temple. And and that's a great, great principle for us to follow. It was a controversial case. And you take it to the higher court, not necessarily as an appeal. It's not like you went to the court system and you didn't like what you got and so you went higher. That's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about an awareness for them, their theocracy governed by God. And if they weren't sure what God's word said about this, then they would go to the tabernacle and later the temple where the experts in the law would be. You know, we read about something similar in Exodus chapter 18. When Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, gave him the same principle, he told him in verse 21 that he should elect uh, men from all able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. 
And here he says, And then it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. And so it would be easier for, for Moses. And that's kind of how it works. You know, even in the church to a certain extent, you know, um, that we would take the harder cases to those individuals who really, really know the Word of God. And if you have questions, you know, you have to go and you have to... F- Keep on asking until they give you a biblical answer, you know, and that would help, you know, everything. There's a scripture, the proverb says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And what that means, I think, is not that you go to and talk to 20 different people. What it means is that in a congregation where you have individuals who give biblical counsel over there and over there, and you can talk to this person and that person and him and her, and, you know, all of a sudden you get a congregation of people who know that the only authority and guidance we have is the Bible, then in the multitude of counselors now, there's safety. But if you have people in the congregation who just, you know, they just kind of give you, well, this is what happened to me. Well, this is what happened to her. And they give you experiences, then that's not really the authority that we need. And so here we see they, they would take the controversial cases to those at the tabernacle. You know, and in reality, the cases were not brought to Moses. In all reality, they were brought to God. Because in Deuteronomy 117, it says, You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. You know, and when you, it's so cool, when the Lord raises up a people, who just want to do his will. It's a beautiful thing. You know, sometimes you get people and, you know, we're going through life and we have all these questions and we'll keep asking until we hear the answer that we want to hear. And then we're like, oh, you're the wise one. (laughs) No, it's, we have to be like, well, what does the Bible say? And that's it. You know, and that's where we need to be, you guys. And then when they tell you, okay, well, this is what you have to do, you know, you don't have, you know, grounds for divorce. You got to stay in that relationship, you know, and then they say, okay, well, I'll go find a church down the street. They'll let me out. Okay, now you're, 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 you're asking for judgment because now you're entering into sin with eyes wide open. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting if you read on here, it says, and you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you. In that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. And so they give you the counsel from God's word. And and you've got to do it whether you agree with it or not. This is God's word, right? According to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you. According to the judgment which they tell you. You shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now, the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. You shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. I mean, it would have been so beautiful if the nation of Israel would have just done things God's way, huh? And in our life, the same is true, you guys. You know, some of you here came to the Lord when you were younger. Some of you came to the Lord 
you know, you're older now. Uh, some of you here have been a Christian for a long time, but it seems like the light is just beginning to, to shine. And you're just really getting serious about the Lord. And, and so you don't, you don't want to really look back with, with too many regrets. You know, you, you want to look back and learn. But from this day forward, that whatever God would tell us to do, that we would just humble ourselves before his authority. Because he's God. He's God. And he's the one who calls the shots. Not us. And we have the audacity so many times to resist his authority. And that's right, right, right here. They say that when they would do that, you know, they would die as well. Deserving of death. You know, I know for us here, we're so grateful that we live in the New Testament because, again, you know, so many of us would be dead right now. But, you know, don't let that be your license to sin. Learn what God wants. Learn how God wants you to give him the best of the best. Learn how God wants you to not have any idols, but that he truly would have your heart. Learn how God wants us to find out the biblical answer to our questions. And then whatever he tells us to do, we just do. Because really, if we don't, you know, it's, it's wickedness. It's wickedness. It's deserving of death. And here we see the authority of God's word and how the priests were to make judgments based on the word as ambassadors of God. And mutiny against God's authority was worthy of death. You know, again, if someone did that, they were to put him to death. Again, it would cleanse the land and it would be punitive and preventative as well. He says right there, notice again in verse 11, you know, and here's the thing I really encourage you guys again. According to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do, it says, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. And so, you know, you find out what God wants you to do when you're there and you're going down that, that, that path and you just, man, you don't go to the right. You don't go to the left. There's no distractions. There's no diversions. You're just with a heart like flint, a face like flint, and you're going forward. And we see that often in the Bible. Deuteronomy 5.32 says the same thing. Don't go to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 28.14. Proverbs 4.26 and 27, it says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. I remember there was a, a, a series of children's books that came out when my kids were young. It's called Adam Raccoon. Out of curiosity, any of you remember him? Any of you guys? Shelly's the only one. Okay. <laughs> Man, if you can go on, you know, those used book websites or whatever, if you can get any Adam Raccoon, it is worth its weight in gold. I thought about donating to the library. I said, no way. I, I'm going to hang on to these ones, man. 
great, great, great book. But it's, there's this one in which he's running the race. And as he's running the race, you know, he's a really, really fast raccoon. He kind of gets out in front, but then he smells these pies on the side. And so he goes off the road. And, you know, he, you know, he, he goes back on the race, but now he's got a big, you know, belly like this. And then he's running down the path, and he's going to the right, he's going to the left. He goes into this house of mirrors, and he's having fun in there, but then he can't get out. He finally gets out, and he's going down the path. And, and finally, as he's going, and, and he's realizing, you know what, I'm not going to make it, um, he remembers that someone gave him a shortcut. So he opens it up, and he takes a shortcut, and the next thing you know, he's just lost. He's just lost. And he doesn't know how to get out. And what happened? Well, he turned to the right and the left. You know? And we can't do that, you guys. we got to stay, stay forward. This is what God tells us to do, and you go and you, and you do that. And you're not unstable. You're not up and down. You just try to go forward with the Lord. We have to stay on track. We need that straight and narrow narrow. Spiritual stick-to-itiveness. We need to stick to the path. I read this earlier. It said, consider the postage stamp. Its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing till it gets there. He said, remember that the next time you open up your mail, you guys stick to the scriptures. Stick to that deep and personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Stick to a heart of obedience. Because God is worthy. You see, in looking at this, we see the spotless sacrifice, the eradication of evil. We see here that God wants to do a great work in the heart of the people. But now we close with the conduct for kings. And if you want to have a good nation, nationally, personally, family, you got to have good leaders. So leaders, listen up. It says in verse 14, When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. And so you read that right there and you're like, but many, I thought Israel was a theocracy. Why is God giving instructions for a monarchy? Why is God now telling them about their king? And the answer is that the nation of Israel would, not too far down the road, slip into, fall into what's known as the permissive will of God. Not the perfect will, but the permissive will of God. God allowed it. And, you know, God was so humble, he was then willing to work in it. But it was not his perfect will. You know, it's really awful when you look at verse 14, the real reason they wanted a king. Look what it says there in verse 14. I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. That was a real reason. They wanted to be like everybody else. You know, and we have to be so careful in the church. A lot of times we'll use worldly means to, you know, we say, well, the the ends justifies the means. And, you know, we can kind of do some crazy stuff here and questionable stuff here. As long as we bring in a whole bunch of people and pack it out with crowds of kids. But you can't do that 
if you compromise. It's not about being like the rest of the world. We're supposed to be really different. And you want to know how the kids will come? The kids will come if we pray. You know, and, and we could do a whole bunch of, you know, shows and things like that. And we can do some, you know, funky lights. We can place a sanctu- paint the sanctuary black, you know, and <laughs> get the kids in here, you know. But the kids will come if we pray. The kids will come if we love them. The kids will come if we teach them God's word. You see, be so careful when you want to be like the world. Because that's what they said. They, we want to be like the rest of the world. And so they then fell into God's permissive will. Think about that. I'm going to impeach God. And I'm going to raise up, you know, a king. And so God, you know, he kind of disciplined them by giving them Saul. And that was a 40-year reign. But then he gave his grace and that eventually he gave David. And when you look at that, God then began to work in the nation of Israel again. You know, the Bible says in Leviticus 20:26, And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people's that you should be mine. They, they forgot that. Be careful, you guys. Wearsby said, imitating the world instead of trusting the Lord has always been the great temptation of God's people. And each time they've succumbed, they've suffered. You know, Samuel tried to talk the nation of Israel out of getting a king. But we read in 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. You know, and one of the things I noticed in this church, you know, and I think I think in most good churches, is you're going to see a diversity of people, huh? And I look around and I think, man, he's, you know, different. And she's different. And, you know, sometimes in our heart, we may think lower of ourselves because we're not like her, or like him, and we shouldn't be that way. As a matter of fact, while I was back there, the Holy Spirit brought this thought to my mind. You guys remember that game, Perfection? You guys remember that game? And uh, did you guys ever play it where uh, you push it down, and then you get all the different pieces and you put them in? You guys remember that? The square, the, some of you guys are squares, and then the, and the circles, some of you guys are stars. You know, and just all the different shapes and the S shapes and all that. And, and I was just thinking, Lord, that's who we are, huh? And I appreciate the way this individual is, is different. And they're different and she's different. And together there's a unity and diversity. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be like that person. Be you. Be like Christ. See, that's it. But unfortunately, they just wanted to be like the rest of the world. And so God gave them what they wanted. From that point on, all the kings should have been good, though, right? And they could have been good. When you read it, if only they had done things God's way. Here we've seen so far that the Lord said again in verse 14, When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, 
You shall surely set a king over you whom, notice, the Lord your God chooses. And it's got to be who the Lord chooses, right? That would be one thing. But then when you look on here, we see some different instructions regarding the king. We see he was to be a national. It says there, again, if you finish the verse, one from among your brethren. You shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And again, they were there, God's people. And the real root of that reason is they had to be a believer, a bona fide believer, right? But as you continue on here, here's some things that you guys, I think we can really hold on to. Verses 16 through 20. Any of you guys ever going to be a husband? Some of you guys are already husbands, leaders in ministry, any element of leadership, especially in the ministry, here's the key. Here's some things right here. We have some negative commands. We have some positive commands. And then we're going to see later some negative results and positive results. First of all, we see the negative commands in verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And so the negative things right here, he says, um, don't touch the glory, don't touch the girls, and don't touch the gold is basically what he says. You know, you multiply horses to yourself. First of all, the king was not to trust in his military might, you know, by multiplying chariots and tanks and things like that. And he definitely was not to cause the people to return to Egypt because that was a place God never, ever wanted them to go again. And for us here today, no matter what we have in the future... We will not go back to the world. You know, some ministries, they'll ask money from the world. And we've even had in our outreaches, some people say, well, you know what, let's ask, you know, Coca-Cola or something. We can't. We can't go to the world for help. we got to trust in the Lord. Psalms 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You can trust God. Trust him. You don't have to, you know, lower yourself to worldly ways and manipulations. The other day on Sunday night, we were talking about how, you know, we need to wait on the Lord. You know, and a lot of us here, if we really wanted, you know, we got this thing that we would like to get or whatever. We try to justify it by saying it's for the Lord. And if you wanted to, man, you could pull a few strings. You could make a few phone calls. You could send a few emails. You could, you know, do a few things and and probably manipulate your way to get it. But is that the Lord? You wait on the Lord. You trust in the Lord. You wait on the Lord. You do things His way. You pray. You pray. We don't trust in, in chariots. We don't trust in our bank account. We trust in the Lord. Secondly, we see that the king was not to multiply wives for himself. You know, and in those days, this is something that they would do frequently. Um, Military alliances, for one, that's bad enough. But the Lord says, I don't want you to do that, not only for that, but also because we know how powerful a pull this can be. 
that I don't care how godly the guy is, that a woman can reduce him to a crust of bread. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.26. And just in case you ladies think that you're not vulnerable to that, your husband's not paying attention to you, next thing you know, some guy comes around, he shows you attention. And the Bible says that the gullible woman is led astray by a man on a mission from hell. It says in 2 Timothy 3.6. We got to be careful. We can't, you know, go this route of pride or perversions or possessions. He says right there, the king was not to gather a whole bunch of gold or stack up stocks of supplies of silver. It says right there, for himself. And so many guys nowadays, and you guys see it all over TV, huh? They have, man, $1,000 suits on crazy man i'm like whoa you know they've got their rolls royce they've got their air-conditioned doghouse you know they're getting rich off the people and you know what chuck smith this is what he said he said don't live above the people don't live above the people one time they were getting the bmws and and the nice cars he said hey get a toyota something like that i think you know we got to be so careful that we don't get rich You see, all these were typical of the kings of the day and the kings of the world, but they were not to be typical of the kings of the king of kings. You know, unfortunately, we know that Israel failed miserably. Second Chronicles 1, 14 through 16, Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. Also, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores, and Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. He did everything that God told him not to do. No wonder the kingdom was stripped from him. No wonder from that point forth it was divided. Later on, we read in 1 Kings 11.3 that he had 700 wives. Crazy. 300 concubines. And what happened? They turned away his heart. And it doesn't have to be 700. For some of you here, it might be 700 because you're looking at pornography. You look at all the girls. It could just be one, though. And they'll turn away your heart. God says, be so careful. Leaders, be careful of the glory, the girls and the gold. Those are the negative commands, but here's the positive commands. He says in verse 18, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. This is the best counsel for any leader. I mean, here it is right here. God says, don't do these things. Stay pure. Stay simple. And and just, man, flood your heart with the word of God. Right there, he says, write a copy of the Bible. That is so cool. Write it. I encourage you guys, write it. Write the whole Bible. There's something about... 
you know, going through your fingertips, man, that it just kind of hits home a little bit. He says, I want you to write a whole copy of the Bible. He says right there, I want you to have a copy of the Bible with you always on your phone. You can have it right there with you all the time, all the time. And I want you, it says right there, to read it when, how often? All the days of his life. On Wednesdays? Yeah. Thursday every day. And for a leader, this is the, the, the best counsel. When Woodrow Wilson was president of the United States, he said, there are a good many problems before the American people today and before me as president. But I expect to find the solutions of those problems just in the proportion that I am faithful in the study of the word of God. That was our president. He said, there's a lot of problems, but I, I, no problem. All the answers are in the Bible. And isn't that true? It is true, huh, you guys? He says, I want you to write the word of God, have the word of God, read the word of God every single day that you would fear God, that you would obey God. And then in closing, we have the results. Again, both negative and positive. He says right here, first of all, in verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. And see, when you're reading the Bible, I don't care how great of a king you are. I don't care how big your church or your kingdom or your ministry or how big your you know, financial you know, status is. It keeps you humble because you realize that in you, it's nothing about us. He says, if you read the Bible every day, your heart won't be lifted up. He says, and you won't disobey. There's the, 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 the results. And then he says that you'll have a long rule and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. You have a long reign and rule as a king, as a leader, an influence. You're not going to be cut down. You know, you're going to do what God called you to do. You will have a dynasty and you will bless your family. And I just love the way it always comes back to the family, huh, guys? So important, you guys, that we take these things to heart and that we bless the generation to come by individually, personally, congregationally living a life of integrity. God is good. And, and you may wonder, well, man, yeah, I don't know how I can do this, you know. And, and the bottom line is none of us here can do it on our own strength. But he is enough. His grace is enough. And I want to encourage you guys, man, no matter what you've been through. Maybe you're here today and some of you here aren't a Christian. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, tonight, you need to know God loves you. That God died for you on the cross. That Jesus came. And today, everything can change if you turn from your sin. And tonight, you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today, you fully surrender to Him. And that goes uh, even for some of us Christians here. I would venture to say, and there's probably, well, there's no doubt in my mind that some of you here are not where you belong. You're not. And so today you need to take that step and say, Lord, 
I, I want to come back. And he'll meet you there. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We honor you. Father, I, I ask for your forgiveness. I think as a church, uh, there's not that reverence. There's not that worship. We, we sing, but a lot of times we don't live. Help us to live, Lord. Help us to live, Lord, the life that you want us to. And that you would raise up leaders and you would raise up heads of ministries and churches. Father, that you would raise up men and women with great influence and impact, maybe on one life, maybe on a a million lives. It, It doesn't matter how many. Just the faithfulness, Lord. Give us grace. Lord, give us grace today. Like Paul the Apostle said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would come, that you would come, and that you would touch every heart here. I see mighty men of valor, Lord. I see, Father, godly women. I see that. I see missionaries, Lord. I see pastors. I see presidents of companies. I see doctors. I see servants. I see I see moms. I see dads. I see beautiful single people. Grandpas. Grandmas. Lord, use this church. Lord, use our lives. We're not content. We thank you for the work you've done. And God, I pray you would just do a deeper work. We love you, Father. We pray to touch every heart tonight. Thank you so much for your grace in my life, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.